Scent World is an original series presented by Scentbird, a fragrance subscription service that brings you luxury designer scents every month for $16.95. Unlock 50% off your first month at Scentbird.com. Welcome back to Scent World, a show that explores the power of expressing yourself through scent. Today, we're featuring Frank Vogel, the New York City-based principal perfumer at Furmanish, the world's largest privately owned perfume and taste company dating back to 1895. Since starting out in the early 90s, Frank has brought to life some of the most beloved fragrances of our time. Nowadays, he's best known as the creator of Le Labo's Santal 33, his portfolio goes on to include collaborations with Dolce & Gabbana, Gucci, Hugo Boss, Jason Wu, and Ariana Grande. He's been prolific in crafting scents that, in his own words, evoke a profound emotional connection with the power to elicit pure, unadulterated happiness. In this episode, Frank sits down with Brittany Jackson Mosley, who runs Integrated Marketing at Scentbird. They explore three areas that are shaping the future of fragrance, sustainability, artificial intelligence, and gender. Frank shares what it takes to become a great perfumer and takes us back to where it all began, his uncle's farm in Germany and all the smells that surrounded him. Embrace the past and future of fragrance with Frank Vogel on Scent World. Hi, Frank. It's nice to see you again. Hi, Brittany. <laughs> Pleasure to be with you. You have had uh, an absolutely iconic career, um, but take me back to the first time you actually felt like I'm officially a perfumer. When did you know, like, when did you really feel like you arrived? Well, yeah, <laughs> honestly, sometimes today I feel I haven't arrived yet. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> Because it's such a long process and you continue learning. So it's, it's, and maybe that's also what makes it interesting. And it's what I love about it because it's not like, okay, now I know it all. And um, from now on, we'll just repeat what we did uh, and what we've learned. And it, it's not like that. Between all the training, it takes around five years until you sort of know a little bit what you're doing. Mm which is a long time. That is a long time. And it's sometimes interesting how you see people becoming perfumers overnight. Yes. Uh, you really wonder how they did that, you know? <laughs> the YouTube <laughs> but... video. <laughs> I want to get back in a time machine. I know that you were born in Germany mm -hmm. and you spent a lot of time in France. Um, and you also spent a lot of time um, and had a lot of happy moments on your uncle's farm. Could you tell us a little bit more about um, your experiences and kind of how that shaped you to become the perfumer you are today? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think when it comes to olfactive, our, our childhood is sort of very determining for all of us. I remember very vividly those moments at my uncle's farm. I would spend there a few weeks in the summer. My parents would leave me there. So it was also <laughs> my first experience 
alone, yes. you know, and <laughs> with my grandmother and uh, and the farm is, I mean, when it comes to effective, it's very intense. And um, not only good smells, obviously, <laughs> yes. um, but that's fine. And I have to say until today, what people would probably mostly describe as unpleasant smells, they bring back good memories because I was happy on that farm and playing around as a kid and playing with other kids there and running around being in the, you know, harvesting the, the hay and, um, you know, helping out in the stable with the yes. cows and the horses. <laughs> so a lot of uh, very strong smells there. But um, yeah, they, again, they, I have positive associations to them. So I, I don't really mind them. Then I think it gets a little bit more glamorous because in Paris, then later as a, <laughs> an adolescent, <laughs> um, I... Um, experienced yeah my first exposure to fragrance to perfumes and i mean that was i would say late 70s early 80s and um there was a time where i mean still today i would say but paris is a very fragrant city um and it's more about the good smells besides the subway um <laughs> i think you could say the same thing about new york as yeah. well <laughs> um but yeah you know there's uh Definitely, people wear fragrance almost every day, and um, you know wherever you go, um, you will always smell beautiful fragrances, some very powerful fragrances, and especially the '80s was very, what I like to call loud, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of um, olfactive signature. And uh, so I started going to a um, perfumery store in the Rue de Rivoli. And um, smelling fragrances. I didn't have a lot of money yet as, as a teenager. So my, once in a while, I would treat myself buying a piece of soap or something, you know, like, yeah. uh, or a Dio stick because I couldn't afford the, the perfume. Mm -hmm. So um, that was kind of my way to get in. And then I would get little samples if I was lucky. And then I would wear them. And eventually it would save my money and then buy the, the perfume. Wow. So, what made you go um, in those stores? That's a very good question. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't really know. I, I just, um, that's, it's, I, I, I don't know the answer. You just anymore. gravitated towards it, fragrance. Yeah, yes. I, I just went there and I was interested in perfumes and I didn't even know that the, the métier of the perfume existed. Um, and I started collecting fragrance, you know, so... Um, and then, coincidentally, a friend of my parents knew about the Izipka, which is a school in, in Versailles, in, uh, you know, next to Paris, that I eventually went to, and I learned about perfumery, and it, there's people creating fragrance, and I said, okay, that's, that's what I want to do. When did you know you wanted to be a perfumer? I know you touched on it a little bit, mm -hmm. but what made you, what was that catalyst for saying, you know what, I'm going to pursue perfumery as a career? It was really in those teenage years, so I was around 16, 17, I would say 16, 17, 18. Um, and it's really when I had an interview with the director of that school. So after our parents' friend, my parents' friend told us about it, I, I went there and um, they were very nice with me. And I actually happened to be the first German going to that school. So they were really excited. Uh, because they wanted to be international, but they were quite French back then. Yes. Uh, because they were not well known as a school. And um, so, yeah, this director from the school, he was super nice. And he explained me that 
there's different parts of the business. There's people who trade with raw materials, and then there's people who do marketing, and there's people who do the evaluation, and then there are those who actually create the the, the perfume itself. And um, I think it's really in that moment that I said, okay, I think that's exactly what I would like to do. And uh, yeah. How long was your perfumery training? I don't think a lot of people know how intensive the training is and how long it takes to become a perfumer. Actually, before starting at that school, I had to do some chemistry. I had to do a bachelor in chemistry. And to tell you the truth, I, I really kind of hated it. <laughs> so it's like, um, I have to say those were very difficult years at college before joining that school to get my degree and my bachelor degree in chemistry. And uh, But somehow I did it. And um, then I was training at the school for two years where you sort of get the big picture do a little bit of formulating on, on, on ingredients and uh, learning how to smell and learning about all the ingredients that we use. It's like the color palette for a painter, you know, so that's our ingredient palette. And um, yeah, then you work with perfumer and then the it's sort of transmitted. It's, it's like a craft, you know, I almost feel like sometimes a you know, a carpenter, uh, you know, knows a lot of little tricks on how to, to work with wood and, and, and um, what the different woods are like and, um, you know, what are all the little secrets on, on how, to, how to do things, how to put them together and uh, make everything work. And uh, I think in perfume, it's a little bit like that as well. It's a craft that you have to sort of transmit. So the best way is to really have good mentors, have perfumers who are willing also to share. Yes. Not everybody does, um, but yeah, and um, so I was lucky in that perspective. That's wonderful. So let's fast forward to 2005, the mm -hmm. year you joined Furminish. Yeah. What were um, those early days at Furminish like for you? Well, there was, I would say, um, as well, exciting as quite overwhelmed. Mm. Because up to then, I had worked with, uh, with smaller companies. Um, I worked many years at Togoko, where I also had a great mentor, uh, Maurice Roussel, who really, I think, also talk, took my skills to another, another level, I would say, um, and who was very willing to share his, his knowledge, his, the wealth of knowledge that he has. And... Um, but Jogoku was a small structure, mm -hmm. and um, for a perfumer, it can be very different um, to be exposed to, let's say, two, three clients and maybe uh, 10 projects or 15 projects a year versus joining a business industry leader like Furminish yes. and suddenly being exposed on basically to all the brands, all the clients, and so many projects. Um, on top of that, um, a lot of molecules and uh, ingredients that are captive and that I've never seen before and smelled before. So um, kind of felt a little bit like a kid in a candy store. You know, <laughs> yes. Exploring uh, all these uh, beautiful new um, things that came up to me so it was it was very very exciting changing a company and starting a new 
stage as a perfumer is always a bit stressful because you have to rebuild your collection and start every fragrance from scratch and so on, but it's also refreshing. Join us for a look into the inner workings of a fragrance house. We'll get into the development process, how many trials it takes to reach a final product, and why Frank believes the best fragrances contain some imperfections. The way we work as a perfumer is basically we have new product projects coming to us from brands like um, Sendbird or any other brand. They come to us and they brief us on new projects. So sometimes they're very specific, sometimes they are more general. Since it's a very competitive business, I mean, I think a lot of people think it's so glamorous and we're just, you know, <laughs> sitting there yes. in our desk and creating and, and dreaming and, you and know, <laughs> and then, you know, somebody buys the fragrance and everybody is happy. So um, there are beautiful moments in my work, but there are also um, more difficult moments because to tell you the truth, and I think in average, um, 10% of the projects I work on are probably go through, which means there's 90% of the fragrances that will probably not be retained because a lot of times you have, you know, five, 10 perfumers, 20, 25 perfumers, big, big projects, even more perfumers, they will work. And at the end of the day, um, the client will launch one fragrance. So imagine. Sometimes you work several fragrances for one project, and then you have so many different perfumers who work on the same project. And then, you know, depending on how well you match the expectation of the client or the consumer, uh, your fragrance will be chosen or not. So basically, you know, there's a lot of work that happens. Mm -hmm. And then um, sometimes those fragrances that are not being retained on a project uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they were not perfect or were not a good fragrance. Um, so you can sort of work on themes continuously over the years. And that's what I mean with building a collection, you know. So those all these fragrances um, uh, that were not retained on the project, they will, they will still be there and we can maybe one day when we go back to them, uh, uh, we can, uh, you know, do something else with them or, or take them to another level, you know. So without having projects, we also do work and generate new innovation and uh, new innovative ideas, uh, which is a lot of fun. So there's a continuous, besides all the projects we work on, there's a continuous process of creation. Mm, and that's and, part of uh, your collection, right? Exactly. And then they become my collection. I'd like to start talking about the craft and the art of perfumery. Mm -hmm. As yeah. you've mentioned, it's it's an art and a science put mm -hmm. together, and it, it takes a while to develop the tools of the trade. So could you tell us a little bit about how um, a fragrance is actually uh, made, how it's initiated, and then how it gets all the way to market and in the role of the perfumer in that process? I mean, it is a long process and it depends because some fragrance I can work on sometimes for years. Um, so the time for the development is a very long process. Others can be faster, can be three months or th six months. As a perfumer, you kind of start, you know, thinking of an idea, what you're trying to do. And then it's almost okay. Then you start going to your 
palate and choose the ingredients that you would like to to use and that will help you to realize in an effective way this this idea. Um, so it basically starts in in your brain. You you imagine something that you would like it to smell like, and then you sort of put it together physically, more or less, um, by blending those ingredients in different proportions. So we create a formula. I like to compare that formula sometimes to a recipe. You know, like oh, when, you, yeah. you, you, when you cook and you need this amount of this ingredient and this amount of that ingredient, and then you sort of have to blend them. Um, in perfume, we just blend everything together in, in, in one, you know, beaker, let's say. Mm-hmm. So there's not this whole frying and <laughs> whatever, <laughs> yes. you know, you know what I mean? Um, so we blend all these ingredients in, 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 in one together. We make a solution in alcohol, we smell it, and then we decide whether we like the proportions of the ingredients that we chose. And from then, you start modifying that formula. So you just keep trying and put a little bit more of this, a little bit less of that. You might add something, you might take something out. So it's almost like shaping um, until you get to a place where you think, all right, this is kind of what I was trying to do. That's kind of matching the, the idea I had in my mind. And then you share it with somebody. You share it with an evaluator that you work with in your office, and then eventually you share it with your client, Mm. and then they will tell you what they think. Yes. So after that process, let's say they they really like maybe two of the fragrances that you've you've shared or created Mm -hmm. for them. How how does how does that become one fragrance that goes to market? Well. there's, I would say there's two scenarios. One of them could be that maybe if they like those two fragrances so much that they will say, well, you know, maybe we can take this part of this fragrance and that part of that fragrance and sort of bring them together. So we do that sometimes. Hmm. Or you just continue working both fragrances and eventually we'll say, well, you know, we still like that second fragrance, but this one is really the one we want to go with. And then, um, you know, they move forward with that. So um, yeah, it's there's a lot of lot of options, but eventually there will be one one fragrance in in, in the bottle, and that's that's what makes it also challenging and uh, but even so more rewarding when your fragrance is the one chosen to go in the bottle. Yes, it's a long competitive journey mm-hmm. with uh, starts and stops and evaluation and um, feedback. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, at the end of the day, if your selection gets picked, then it goes in the bottle and then mm-hmm. the marketing starts. <laughs> exactly. And we, um, by the way, we are not so much part of that. Um, so when it comes to packaging and, um, you know, blending the, uh, the, the, the fragrance oil with the alcohol and the water and putting it in the bottle and then creating the packaging, the marketing campaign, etc. We don't get involved in that part. So that is really then, basically for us, it, it stops when we sort of finalized, finished the, the, the fragrance oil, you know, to a level where I said, okay, this is, that's, that's it. We are proving this fragrance as it is right now. That formula obviously is our intellectual property of Feminish, so that is um, that 
secret formula will be also exclusive. So we will not use this for anybody else, right. for this client, for this project. And um, yeah, and then uh, everything else is then, I would say, taken to the next level by our clients. Mm. Yes. It's a long journey from the brand briefing you or the, the fragrance creator, the conceptor, to you making it a reality, to the trial and error and the testing all the way until it hits the shelves and makes um, millions and millions of people happy. Yeah. And by the <laughs> way, I think it is important to know that sometimes we have hundreds, sometimes thousands of trials until wow. we get to that final. So it, it is, it can be pretty extensive. I mean, it can sometimes be a couple of thousand trials before we really get to the point where we say, okay, this, this is it. How do you um, personally, as a perfumer, know when a fragrance is done, so to speak, and it's ready good. to present? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's a tough question because honestly, um, I could finish a fragrance one day and go back to it a year later and say, you know, I want to change this, I want to change that. Wow. You know? um, obviously, once it's being, you know, marketed, it, it will not be changed. So it will stay as is. But um, as a perfumer, and even when I wear fragrances myself, I, my brain is constantly... Um, thinking and uh, always thinking about oh you know i like this and i don't like that and uh, oh this i couldn't do different and so there's you know there's a constant uh, stimulation in a way where you always think about okay um this is this is done um or it's not done and i think what you could say at the end of the day is um i don't know if that perfect fragrance really exists mm. because um, I think the best fragrance actually have some some imperfections. You know, there's some something a little bit off or something a little bit out of balance, something that sticks out. I think um, that is actually very important for a fragrance to be memorable, to be um, recognized, and uh, to have a, like a true personality, a soul of its own. I like to say sometimes. So yes, I've heard you say that before. That um, the best fragrances have that element of imperfection. You just mentioned it again here. Uh, could we talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? I I think the best way to describe it is it that you know if you, if you have an image or in this case the image being the scent, the scent is a a blend of ingredients, and um, they all have different proportions and they all play different roles within that blend, you know, and within that perfume. And um, I think the imperfections would be, let's say, um, one facet of that fragrance being a little bit exaggerated. Or it could even be something missing that you would expect to be there. You know, I'm just saying something, I'm just making something up, let's say, in jasmine, you have uh, you know an animalic note, which there's one ingredient called indole, and um, so you could have a jasmine and it's missing the indole, you know. So that could be some type of distortion there, 
or the jasmine also has a fruity note so you could do the jasmine and just leave out the fruity note so you know it's it's kind of um a balance of what you would expect to be there or not to be there and leave something out or put something that doesn't belong there you mm. know and it it's more like the versus an expectation you know so or you could also do it by um uh, i did that with one brand particularly we also said you know we'll just skip the freshness you know we always think okay every fragrance has to have a top note and uh, there has to always be something fresh and clean yes. because everybody loves that and it is true it is true you know that people love to have freshness in a in a in a fragrance and you just purposely leave it out say you know okay we you know what let's we don't want forget about the freshness we'll just leave that out and then we'll just leave the fragrance as is and if somebody wants freshness well then go buy a fresh fragrance you <laughs> yeah, know? They, can, so, they can see something else <laughs> yeah so you could call that an imperfection because you're missing the freshness so you know that's that's kind of how it is and and um uh, and that is really interesting and, and i love to to work that way to do something that you know you um you distort that expectation and you just do the the opposite i actually like to do that in life as well you know to when i see everybody going this way i like to go the other way <laughs> <laughs> would you say that's your signature to play up imperfections or to kind of rebel against what is traditional yeah i mean um you could call it rebellious but it's also um i think a form of innovation and a form to innovate and and a form to be try to be different and um so um yeah i'm I'm not certainly not the only one working that way i would not pretend that but um i do enjoy working that way that's awesome that's so cool it's like i mean i guess that's how you create a fragrance that becomes truly iconic or a fragrance that people love so much it's mm -hmm. because you don't go the same direction as everyone else does. I know you've said that your goal is to craft scents that evoke a profound emotion or a profound emotional connection. Can you kind of expand on uh, what you're striving for when you say that? I, I really think um, that beyond um, wearing fragrance to seduce another person, mm -hmm. I mean, for many, many years, that's how fragrance have been advertised to us, yeah. let's face it. Uh, and they still are for certain brands. Um, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but I would say uh, uh, that at the end of the day, the role of fragrance to me, it's more profound than making others react and um, or trying to please to others. I don't think anybody would wear a fragrance that they hate because, but just to get attention from others. Right. Because I think it could be very disturbing and it has happened to my, me as well, you know, to wear a fragrance that I, or something that I loved maybe 20 years ago and I would wear it today and suddenly I'm like, oh my God, this is not, uh, <laughs> get this off of me, <laughs> you know? Um, so it, it does happen and you know it's it's there's an emotional connection so of course what we try to do as a perfumer is to create fragrance that will create this this connection with with the our with the consumer we are creating for with the person we are creating for and i think that's really the key
experience scents that evoke a profound emotional connection with a quick tour of the Frank Vocal Furminish portfolio. We're about to explore some of his most popular creations for glossier, nomenclature, and commodity. One of my personal favorites that I know you've created is Glossier You. Mm -hmm. And I loved that campaign about the fragrance being for you. Imagine a bunch of words. Any adjectives will do just fine. Smell is all tied to memory and feelings. I think the first time I smelled it, it felt familiar. It's like the smell of me. I connected to joy and family. Well, I'm already sharing it with my daughters. It's about you. Because <laughs> if someone you love is wearing it, it'll just stick in your mind. There's also something that adapts to each individual. Just first, I need to know that, you know, it was a fragrance together that was a collaboration with Dora Bagrish, so yes. perfume in Paris and a colleague in, in our French, French office. Um, Shout out to Dora. And exactly. So um, it was really interesting because when we were working on this with um, Emily Weiss, you know, the founder for, of, of Glossier, who was actually very much into fragrance and who was very, very involved into that creation process. And um, so while we were working on this and talking with her, um, I also shared with her my view on how fragrance is really for you, you know? So we kind of, um, you know, in our discussions brought this up and it's, you know, Glossier U is more like a, almost like a skin scent. It's not the type of fragrance um, that um, you wear almost like a layer. For me, there's a difference between a perfume and a scent, actually. Mm. Um, and I'll explain you. So it's, for me, a perfume is more like um, your Gucci sunglasses or your <laughs> handbag or yeah. a Chanel handbag or... Um, any type of accessory you would wear, like as a embellishing, ornamental kind of you know, accessory. And um, a scent to me is more something that you would wear for yourself that becomes part of you and that you basically, it smells like you, you know, and it becomes part of you. It's, it's not like wearing something flashy or... Right very visible it's more this type of fragrance yeah like like i say it becomes part of you and i i thought it was really cool how they advertise it eventually about you know basically you are the 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 main ingredient you know so you wear this fragrance and then it becomes part of your body and you it sort of mingles and um there's this interaction that makes it smell like you the difference between a scent and a perfume is uh kind of who sees it first it's the perfume is the the accessory and the scent is uh how it makes you feel or it's uh something more personal so cool yeah i think this is a new definition that everyone should follow perfume versus scent um but going back to glossier you how did you go about um figuring out how to express this um, idea of scent being for you through the notes together with dora dora started this idea with a, a very simple uh, like a very straightforward accord 
and uh, and that's also I think to further elaborate on the scent versus the perfume, I think a scent has something a little bit more linear um and it's probably a little bit more simplistic in its structure um and maybe a little bit less facets i'm not saying lucio doesn't have facets because it does but it's probably an overall feels more as one one piece versus some fragrance that have a very clear evolution from the top note to the mid to the back and then you know the top smells very different than the back you know you could have this freshness we spoke about mm -hmm. before and then you could have this floral part uh, hard and then it can evolve into something musky woody so um uh, a scent for me and glossier you for example is a type of fragrance that is it's it, you see what you get and, and it's basically from top to bottom from the moment you apply it and until where the the you know the day throughout you wearing it it sort of stays the same and uh, so it's really, um, yeah, it's it's more linear. That's how, what we call more linear versus maybe more faceted and uh, with a um, like um, less evolution within the wear. Could you tell us a little bit more about the brand nomenclature? I was looking forward to hearing more about how you develop for that brand. It's quite uh, unique, and um, as you know, I'm I'm an advocate of using molecules and um, giving them their place in our product. And uh, so, what's really interesting about that brand is that they really um, use the molecule as a sort of hero ingredient in their perfume. So um, we basically started building a fragrance around one singular molecule. And basically thinking of the molecule, what it evokes and, you know, what are the associations of it and uh, sort of just add, add to that central molecule that we sort of overdose within that fragrance and, and add actually also naturals and other molecules, etc. So it's a, it's a very unique approach and um, uh, it's a really cool brand. Yeah. Very New York. I love that. Um, could you tell us about some of the specific creations you've done for nomenclature or what um, or molecule it's based off? Yeah, of? the latest one, it's called Red Wood. And uh, it's really cool because um, there is an ingredient in there. It's called Clearwood. And uh, it's our biotech patchouli. So it's, it's really very in innovative because it's, I, I like to call it in, in vitro patchouli because uh, <laughs> it's sort of, you know, uh, we we were able to isolate the DNA of the um, of the patchouli and sort of regrow it with sugars and enzymes in a in, in a lab, and um, so genetically the clear wood is is patchouli, but grown grown in a lab, wow. and that's kind of the the main ingredient there. And then yeah, psycho was the other one that's kind of more like a retro molecule, the coumarin. I mean, we all know tonka, and so it's a main ingredient of um, of tonka beans. And it has this very creamy almondy note, and um, yeah, so it's um, um, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy working with them. So cool! I love that. It almost sounds like Clearwood is like an impossible burger. I don't know if I'm just hungry, yeah. but it's like yeah. you've recreated yeah. something in a lab that like maintains its authenticity. Yeah. It's really interesting, and it is hundred percent natural and sustainable. Very important. See that. All the benefits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I also wanted to talk about a brand that is available on the Scentbird platform, Commodity. Um, and I know you've worked on some of the fragrances there. 
I I did one fragrance for them, and it's called Bois. It's it's a wood, so it's a French word for for wood, and uh, that was mine. And uh, so the idea there was to create a um, very um, let's say creamy interpretation of wood. Um, and uh, you know, wood sometimes can be a little bit dry, can be earthy, can be it can be something almost I would say uncomfortable. So I would try. This fragrance was more about, you know, like this fluidity to find this smoothness and fluidity, sensuality within the wood. So there's some sandalwood, cedarwood, no, I would say mostly what I like to call blonde woods. So that like the lighter woods, uh, rather than the dark woods, which are like the Betty Bear and the Patchouli. So, um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm very happy that that brand, um, you know, has uh, re-emerged uh, and, and, and is, uh, you know, is, is back available to us. Absolutely. And I know they have kind of different expressions of their scents now. Like it's kind of like some of the fragrances where there's eau de toilette, eau de parfum, or an extrait or something. I'm probably butchering some of those words, but um, I think they have kind of like the personal fragrance. Have you done different expressions of the Blois fragrance? Um, no, no, we have done the, you know, like the Eau de Parfum, I think, uh, that's like the main, uh, like the main, uh, product they have. And, um, yeah, so it's, um, it's like, uh, Eau de Parfum is like, you know, these, um, terms that you were using, the extrait and Eau de Parfum, Parfum, there's uh, a lot of times they are, um, different, uh, fragrance levels actually. So the concentration of the fragrance is different. But a lot of brands these days actually also change the fragrance. So when they do the parfum version or the extrait version or the eau de parfum, eau de toilette, um, it's become very trendy to, um, to really shift the fragrance significantly. Next, I'd love to explore a few major areas where Furminish is really pioneering and shaping the future of fragrance. Mm -hmm. And we touched on sustainability, but could you tell us a little bit more about the sustainability initiatives at Furminish? I, I think probably also, again, my, my German roots, you know, the environment has always been something very precious and very important. And, you know, there's always been that awareness. And I have to say, I'm I'm proud that Furminish and our our chairman these days used to be the CEO Patrick Firminich has mm -hmm. always had very has been very keen on you know Firminich being one of uh, at, at the forefront of, of those initiatives so it's it's not something that's happened in the last two years it's been I would say probably 10 years that we have started initiatives and and um, I'm, I'm really proud of that um, I would say in recent years, initially, it has become a little bit challenging um, to start formulating under sustainable criteria. And I, yes. I have to admit that, you know, the first projects that came to me um, were had to be 90% biodegradable ingredients and a certain amount of carbon renewable ingredients in the formula, et cetera, that, um, that was quite a challenge. And I, I like to call it like, brain gymnastics to work on these projects <laughs> yes. because you really have to twist, um, let's say, everything you've learned until now mm -hmm. and sort of rethink everything because 
not only suddenly you're trying to find certain hedonics, you also try to create the most sustainable fragrance that there could be. Wow. Um, so it's been a very interesting challenge, and I have to say now I love it. And and honestly, we have uh, we have tools that are really helping us to calculate all these things while we develop our formulas, and uh, we can see all right, you know, this fragrance is uh, 99% biodegradable, and there's uh, upcycled ingredient in there. Mm. So there's, you know, it's it's a little bit all about the fact that people are looking for transparency. I, I think that's kind of a trend, and I feel it's a little bit where it's coming from. It's the awareness of the environment and how important it is to preserve our planet, but it's also the increasing curiosity to know about where things come from, what's in them, and, and I think that is something that has really changed a little bit the, the landscape of, of how we create uh, of perfumery and how we create fragrances. If you were to create a fragrance that's considered sustainable, mm -hmm. how would you define those parameters? You could look at it at different angles. So the ingredients, of course, um, we want to make sure that whatever we use, that it's being replanted. And so we don't exhaust uh, nature's supply. reserve. And, 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 and that's uh, we touched on it earlier. That's why I also think that this mix of molecules and naturals is is, in is a healthy one because if we were all start using 100% natural fragrances, um, basically um, we would empty our forests and uh, fields very fast and there wouldn't be enough ingredients around to fragrance the world. Right. We deplete all of nature. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. You know, we have sometimes uh, brands that come to us that are looking for 100% natural, and we always have this conversation like, okay, w w what is your intention really? And, and, and it is, it, I think it's important for everybody to understand if, if you want to do good, probably the 100% natural fragrance is not necessarily the best way of doing good and doing justice to nature and the environment. So, um, yeah, we try to find the right way and, um, and and be responsible mostly yeah responsible responsibility and transparency i think mm -hmm. that is kind of the new wave it's what people want in their products so in addition to the evolution of fragrance and and speaking about sustainability how do you think how do you think gender has changed or the perspective of gender has changed the fragrance industry in recent years um there has been let's say um, a way of creating fragrances that maybe have a little bit less of a point of view because we're trying to please everybody, you know. So that's kind of always a fine line. Um, so I think that's how a lot of small brands have emerged because there was a part, there was a category of consumers who were looking more for the point of difference and to differentiate themselves to be more individualist and to sort of make a, a statement that, um, you know, they're wearing a fragrance that not everybody else is wearing. Mm -hmm. um, and those fragrances have been created mostly without really a gender in mind. Because when you think about it, if you start thinking of creating a man's fragrance or a women's fragrance, you probably as a perfumer would be tempted to 
go to certain types of ingredients. Right. Right. Flowers for women, woods for men. Exactly. So when you do that, you sort of more easily get into one type of fragrance, you know. And I mean, there's a lot of variety, of course. I'm sort of simplifying it a little bit. But when you don't think in terms of gender, you're basically probably i mean at least for myself in my in my mind it makes it makes me very free it frees me up in a way where you know i don't have to think of whether a man or woman is wearing this so right. i can just put things together that maybe nobody was thinking of before and uh, associate the flower with the wood and the spice and the amber and the iris and you name it and 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 not think you know that i have to have like a, a a DNA that is more gender specific, so that's one thing happening over the last ten years. I love it, and I think on the other hand, in society, and and I certainly think that's a good thing. Um, you know, the gender specificity. Oh, how do you solve it? <laughs> I don't know. Genders, gender specificity. <laughs> gender specificity. <laughs> Um, has also become something that is more important and where we want to be more inclusive and where we want to acknowledge that there's not only men born as men and women born as women. And that is, uh, um, so, so I think that has just become something that is very important in our, in, in our society, at least in our Western society here and in the US and in Europe. Unfortunately, some markets still struggling with that right. uh, but definitely you could say there's um, there has been an openness and, and and people thinking maybe in a little bit more liberal way so that has also sort of nurtured the fact that you know also the brands we work with try to be maybe less traditional or less conservative or or less boxed in in their in their marketing approach and um so I think it's an interesting trend, and uh, there's brands that have emerged that um, we also work with, and um, yeah, I think it sort of broadened the spectrum. Spectrum again, you know, I think it's just uh, allows us to to innovate more and to be um, less um, framed in. Um, mm, yeah, know. I love what you said about um, you know giving you freedom. I think it's freedom all around, freedom for the customer as well as, um, or it's transferred from freedom for the perfumer to create mm -hmm. based on maybe a moment or an ingredient or a place or a vibe mm -hmm. as opposed to a gender. And then that also frees up the customer. I love the idea of uh, pushing beyond gender being more free for everyone. <laughs> it yeah, just seems like absolutely. it expands everyone's yeah, horizon. Absolutely, yeah. So- is there an aspect of artificial intelligence uh, coming through for the fragrance industry that you think is um, exciting or, or helpful to the, the future of the industry? My friend and former colleague, Harry Fremont, he always had um, this um, uh, comparison that, um, talking about computer-aided design mm -hmm. and you know how architects... Um, they use tools to design houses and to um, uh, calculate static and, uh, and, and all these um, technical aspects of it. So I think 
What's really amazing is with artificial intelligence that we have tools now that assist us in our creation and that, um, that help us to not worry so, mu so much about all these technical aspects and to really focus on the creation and the creative process and yeah. to really worry about, you know, how you innovate and how you also um, can be helped with the performance of your fragrance because there's also that aspect. Um, everybody is expecting the fragrance to be diffusive and uh, long-lasting long and... Um, have all these technical characteristics that we take for granted, but they are actually, you know, they have to be developed. And as a perfumer, we also have to keep these things in mind. So there's all this artificial intelligence that we have available to us through our tools that we can use and to just assist us to maybe get a little bit faster from A to B than, than we used to. And uh, I, I really love that, yeah. Yeah, I love that comparison. It's like a CAD program. It's not mm -hmm. doing the work. It's setting a foundation or a basis. It's it's really interesting. Yeah. We are basically telling our our robot, let's say, you know, please create a a rose fragrance or a coconut fragrance, and um, you know, it'll sort of spit out a formula. Uh, create a formula that we will then compound and um, that's supposed to smell like a, a coconut or a rose. And uh, so that's, that's, that's really cool. So that is really, I think, the stage we're at right now. Um, and then you can uh, certainly also imagine all other sorts of things, uh, work on line extensions, you know, how we have to translate yeah. the fine fragrance to maybe the body lotion or the soap or the deal, et cetera. Right. You could also imagine then eventually having a, a software basically doing that translation to you if you enter all the criteria of how the base smells, et cetera. So I think the, it's, there's, there's no limit. And I love that. So I wanted to ask, what are some of the key principles that you're trying to pass down to the next generation of perfumers? For me, training the next generation is really giving back what I have received. And I, I think we owe it to us as perfumers, you know, when we were fortunate to uh, train by, by perfumers to, to transmit our craft later to the, to the next generation, which is so important because Again, you know, there's, um, you can't, there's no instruction on YouTube how to become a perfumer, yes. <laughs> right? And uh, there's no, um, there's no, no book that will teach you um, in a way that you can actually really create a fragrance. So you have to, you, you rely on that. There's a few schools these days. But again, you know, at the end of the day, you need to work with somebody. To go back to your question, what is also actually quite important these days is, um, uh, to be able to communicate because you know it's it's a very abstract thing to talk about fragrance and it's really difficult and so when we work of, with our clients it's very important for somebody to be able to explain their work how they work and to also understand what the expectation from the client is they're working with so this whole piece on being able to present yourself present your work and understand what your client wants, I think it's, it's really important. Yeah, it's the hard skills and the soft skills. Yes, exactly. Required. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And if you were to look back and talk to a younger Frank Vogel, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, when you were in Paris, just starting to discover the fragrance world, what would you tell them? Um, how hard it really is to get there. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it is, I mean, it is, you need a lot of resilience, really, I have to say. And, and, and I think, you know, um, especially in a fragrance company, probably a lot, a lot of people look up to our work and what we do as perfumers. And um, uh, sometimes maybe they even envy us, but it's also, you know, you need to really have a pretty thick skin mm. and um, deal with the daily successes and failures that you have to experience and uh, you have to um, really be able to uh, pursue your vision every day and and not get distracted and not get discouraged by the things you have to experience and and i'm i don't want to dramatize it but it, it is you know it's a it's a very competitive business these days and there are high expectations and and um so yeah you have to have to stay focused and 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 it's very important to to make the right choices i mean in any metier but um so maybe not always made the best choices but somehow i've always got you know back <laughs> on track and <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> somehow it, it it worked out you know wonderful so thank you so much frank for talking with us about all things fragrance and about your wonderful career Thank you, Brittany. It was true pleasure and uh, a lot of fun, actually. Thank you. That was Brittany Jackson Mosley and Frank Vogel from Furmanish, based in New York City. Up next on Scent World, build slow for the long haul with Vikan Arslanian, the re-founder of Commodity. You've been listening to Scent World. For more unfiltered conversations with perfumers, visionaries, and fragrance lovers, follow Scent World wherever you get your podcasts. Scent World is a Scentbird original series produced by Flowship. Today's episode was executive produced by Maria Nurislamova, produced by Mike Giordani, edited by Ramiro Gava, mixed by Alex Roses, production support by Peely Melendez. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.